Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast for the week of April 5th, 2021. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin, uh, here to talk with Josh Blank again, of the research director of the same Texas Politics Project. How are we today, Josh? Doing excellent. I thought so. We got a lot done this morning. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> That's good. And talking about an exciting topic. So right before the you know de facto long holiday weekend uh, around Easter, we released the results of a, a poll that we did in March that we Josh and I developed in conjunction with a team of researchers at UT's Energy Institute. And we asked dozens of questions about Texans' experience during the winter storm, uh, about their attitudes towards the causes and the consequences of the storm, uh, their views of and expectations about the the possible policy responses, um, particularly those being engaged as we speak in in the Texas legislature. Um, and their views about a wide range of actors from their neighbors, uh, utility providers, industry, state political leaders, regulatory bodies, corporate actors. You know, we threw a lot, we threw a lot in this poll, um, some of which was developed, um, you know, specifically towards research objectives of some of our colleagues at the UT Energy Institute, some of which was stuff that we were interested in. Uh, it was a it was a nice collaboration with a you know among a large diverse group of of people, um, and we I you know I, I, I thought we got interesting results didn't you I mean yeah it, I sometimes mean, we forget to even stop and talk about that I think we crank these things out and you move on to the next thing but I you know I was pretty happy with this well you know I mean I think when you conduct a lot of polls you kind of get used to uninteresting results from time to time <laughs> and you start to find ways that they're interesting maybe to you if not other people and I'm I, thinking I, of some I'm thinking of some of our listeners going yeah no kidding yeah well exactly <laughs> well and look we know <laughs> it's not like you know every question we ask is some you know home run and the truth is you know that's good because obviously we don't expect everything we ask to have some sort of shocking and ridiculous result but you know in this case I mean it was actually very interesting because I mean what I always serve you know the way I classify interesting is usually you know how much do I think I know about what the responses are likely to look like? And if it's a question or a topic we've asked a ton of stuff about, you know, usually we have a pretty good idea of what, you know, the distribution of opinions can look like with something like this. I mean, really you have no idea, right? I mean, it's this huge event that it's this huge event that just happened. We don't even really fully understand the scope of it in terms of, you know, people's experiences of it. Again, there's been a lot of political talk about it. But I mean, what was so nice about this is I think this poll was a really you know great mix of you know both sort of just the kind of practical policy analysis of what happened to people, what was their experience like, you know, if we were trying to develop solutions for the future, what kind of things would you want to deal with? And I think this poll actually uncovers some things that maybe people aren't talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, but on the other hand, there's sort of this general you know 
set of evaluations of, you know, the range of actors involved, you know, what people perceive as actually having happened, because I think a big part of this we're going to discuss a little bit is sort of the attempts to frame what happened and how that's landed with people. And then also, you know, what their reactions are, you know, to the policies that are being discussed uh, as a result to, you know, as a response to what is, you know, ultimately actually a very complicated, you know, event in a very complicated system of, of, uh, of interlocking parts. And so, you know, I think this poll gets it a lot, gets us a lot of the way towards understanding a lot of things that I can't say, you know, prior to doing it, that we knew the answer. Yeah. To. I mean, yeah. It, it, you know, I think you make a good point about complexity and this has been, if not the calendar year, because this happened in 2021, but certainly the last 18 months or so have seen us engaging a series of, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before a series of problems that have, that are very systemic in nature, or at least function in, in very complex systems, mm-hmm. you know, and are direct and are directly related to them. Obviously, thinking about the pandemic and the pandemic response, and now this, mm-hmm. and so it's been it's been very interesting for these kinds of things that, you know, we didn't do in the first you know ten years of polling, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, and that certainly you know now have come up and really and really shifted things. So you know, let's start with some of the framing. Um, you know, and, and as we talk about this, we'll go back and, you know, we could we could do this in kind of a linear way. But I think for our purposes, you know, I think we'll <laughs> we'll start with the framing and then go backwards I was to, say that, know, we, back into some of the causes. We could have a linear discussion about this, but that wouldn't be this podcast. Right. Then then, then we'd be different people in a different podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so let's um, do it. Let's do it this way. <laughs> so. Uh, so, you know, you, you talked about framing and I think, you know, one of the one of the things that really came out of this, I think, was where the leadership in the state were successful and maybe less successful, although I think, you know, we see signs of a lot of success here in, in framing the the crisis and particularly the who was going to get blamed. And I think we talked about this a, a little bit a couple of weeks ago before we had these results, but, you know, pretty clearly early on, uh, you know, you have to say it. I mean, the governor was pretty clearly looking to hang this on ERCOT, mm-hmm. I think, from if not the very first press conference and, and public address as the storm is unfolding in which there were members of the Railroad Commission and the PUC and ERCOT and you know other emergency actors in this kind of all hands on deck, here comes the storm press conference. Once things started going bad, we started seeing fewer of those people show up at those events. In particular, the ERCOT people seemed to be no longer invited. Yeah. Um, and that was a sign. And, and then we saw, obviously, very explicit signs saying that this was this was ERCOT and, and this was ERCOT's fault and that that was going to have to be where the attention was put. And I think, you know, for an entity that almost certainly nobody knew anything about or very few members of the public probably even knew existed, mm-hmm. which makes sense given their role as an intermediary in the system. Right. Uh, a lot of people had attitudes about ERCOT and they were overwhelmingly negative. Right. But I mean, we say they had a lot of attitudes, not deep attitudes, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, there's two items that kind of touch on these regulatory bodies. You know, we asked people just at the outset of the poll before we even got really going in this set of topics, you know, how much, how familiar are, would you say you are with ERCOT, right. the PUC, we define, you know, we call it the Public Utility Commission, but, you know, the PUC and the Railroad Commission. And overall, and this is, again, after a month of many, you know, 
many actors, you know, explicitly bashing these entities. They've been, you know, in the paper, in the news. And even at this point, only 16% of Texans said they were extremely familiar with ERCOT. 7% said the same of the PUC. 5% said the same of the Railroad Commission. Having said that, (laughs) 72% said they disapproved strongly of how ERCOT handled the storm. Well, they did 72% disapproved, and I think 61% strongly. Right, 72% disapproved. Distinction without much of a difference. Right, 72% disapproved of how ERCOT handled the storm. 50% disapproved of how the PUC handled the storm. And 25% uh, disapproved how, of how the Railroad Commission handled the storm. And that's not to say that like people were overwhelmingly positive on the Railroad Commission. Only 12% approved of how the Railroad Commission handled the storm. The rest just had no opinion or idea, which I would say if you're the Railroad Commission, victory. Right, which we'll get to. And I and I and I think that yeah, so I mean, I mean, from a you know, just thinking about that and doing some math and you know, so basically when we ask people you know, how big a factor, you know, this, you know, these entities were or, or how they whether they approved of these these entities and how a variety of actors handled the crisis. Eighty percent had an opinion about ERCOT. Sixty two percent had an opinion about the Public Utility Commission. Only thirty seven percent had an opinion about the Railroad Commission. So that right there, you know, sets up a lot of the politics of this and and suggests that while you know, I, I think the governor early on and, you know, was trying to blame ERCOT and there wasn't much discussion of the Public Utility Commission. Mm-hmm. And when the utility commissioners or, or when the, the, the chair of the utility commission went to testify in that very long and eventful day in the legislature, I mean, look, the legislators certainly, you know, beat up on ERCOT and, and ERCOT CEO Bill Magnus, but the, they put a lot of heat on the PUC. And, and I think the... The chairman of the utility commission at that point, who's now departed, made a pretty good effort to avoid responsibility, and that was pretty unsuccessful. And it was unsuccessful not only with Democrats, which one might be expects, as the public utility commission is made up of gubernatorial appointees, but there were a lot of there were a lot of Republicans really not buying it either. And you know, some of that was the division among. You know, to, to broach another topic, uh, you know, yeah. the, the lieutenant governor and his allies and the governor and his allies. But, you know, this became kind of a legislative executive branch thing as far as the Public Utility Commission was gone, was concerned. Mm-hmm. And I think that shows up in these numbers. And so I think that's where, you know, we can say, you know, in some ways, the effort to blame ERCOT obviously yielded some fruit for Republicans here, given these numbers. But the. Uh, you know, the the effort at damage control by the governor and sort of sheltering the PUC, given not only these numbers, but the fact that all three of them wound up having to resign under pressure mm-hmm. to one degree or another, that didn't work very well. Yeah. And I think, you know, the reason that it, it clearly, you know, I mean, you know, what I'm hearing, you know, you, you talk about this. I mean, part of the reaction I have is, you know, ultimately, let's say, you know, you know, mistakes were made. You know, I mean, (laughs) let's say, and the question is, is, you know, who, you know, who is doing those mistakes? I mean, I mean, ultimately one of the big difficulties in this, you know, in this space is the fact that I think, you know, and you've seen this, you've seen various actors, you know, who have every reason to defend the system we have of electricity generation, both saying that the market system failed and that it worked. 
And so ultimately, part of I think what's going on is <laughs> right. about the you know it's it's about the operation of the system. And I think you know and you'll see this, in, and we have this in some other polling items that I think touches on this. You know, and so there's this question of well, who do we blame? And there's a, you know I think the sort of the, the psychology of blame is interesting in all of this too. Right. Um, but the bigger issue is you know if the if we're, if we're not going to say that the system is a problem, and I think that's something that that Republicans in particular are loath to say, given that our electric system is you know a standout as a market based. Uh, energy, you know, producing system, and it's right. and it's supposed to be an exemplar. So it's not very easy for Republicans to say, "Boy, that's you know that market based system really messed up." So ultimately, then it comes down to operation of the system, and you know, the question is: Is the system, you know, the child of of legislators and policymakers, or is it these guys who are running the system that they've set up? And I think that's kind of where you know all this focus. I mean, there's an adva- there's an incentive for everyone, I think, you know, in the political process, whether you're the governor, you know. Or the lieutenant governor, or the legislature, to try right. to shift shift the emphasis as much as you can to the way that these actors are running the system, not the system itself. And the right. thing is, there's and there's some evidence in the polling for why that's a you know why that might work, but also why it might not. So we asked in another part of the poll, you know, basically what caused this. You know, we gave yeah. them a list. You give them a big list of things. Some of them are more reasonable and realistic. Some of them less so, but they reflect the public discussion, which is the point here. Yeah. And you know the 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 the, the clear leading cause according to Texans is the lack of winterization, both in electric right. facilities, but also at gas f- facilities, followed by the unprecedented nature of the storm. Now, it seems to me what strikes me in this discussions we're having is like, well, okay, <laughs> well, then whose fault is that? Right. And the thing and, is, and, I think- and look, and look, it's fair to, you know, step outside of the framing for a second and, and, and point out that people that either worked in this, I've had, you know, people that have worked in or close to this system and people that were involved in its architecture say, look, ERCOT is designed and really set up to be the guys that take the blame if something goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and look, there's something, you know, I mean, if you're going to be the person, you know, driving the car, the roads, you know, if you're driving a car and you rear end somebody, the roads might be wet. You know, you might've been distracted by, you know, something that, you know, it was worth being distracted by like a child in distress, but you're driving the car, you hit the car in front of you, it's your fault. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's, that's kind of structural to the way we drive cars. And I think there's something to, you know, I'm gonna, you I'm know gonna... to, to be entirely fair, it's okay. You know, I mean, you know, no, I, I don't want to be taken as saying, look, you know, Urkai just got unfairly blamed. They, you know, nothing went wrong. They couldn't have done anything differently. Sure. Um, but the but the extent to which public opinion landed this way is pretty interesting. Well, and you know, I'll, I'll take this as my opportunity. D- to talk given about- given the complexity of the bl- all the things that you were you know where you well, were going with the factors. Well, and this, I'll take this as my my opportunity to try to quickly you know talk about this for one second, which is I think this is really you know an interesting aspect of the framing around this, which is that you know generally speaking, it's a lot easier for people to conceptualize individual blame than systemic problems. Right. You know, you know, ultimately, just just as people, you know, we're limited in our ability to to attend to anything, to focus on anything, and we can basically focus on three things. We can focus on ourselves and our internal dialogue and all that kind of stuff, which is what we like to do generally. You know, we can focus on things in our environment, other people, right, other stimuli that we can see or interact with, and then there's this third area, which is this idea of sort of focusing and attending to systems. And ultimately, it's a, it's this. This is very hard to do. Ultimately, because we're lim- I mean, you were just we're just limited animals. You know, I right. mean, like, you know, you've heard of chunking. Like, you know, we can only basically store seven things in our working memory at once. That's why, why phone numbers are about seven numbers long. You know, you can extend that with all kinds of tools and tricks and whatever. But then, when you're talking about something like 
well, you know, we've got this market-based system with ERCOT and the PUC, and we've got providers, and we've got the people transmitting the energy, and then we've got the retail. And it's, uh, and it's, and it's marketized, but it's a regulated market designed by... I haven't been yeah. counting, but we're past seven, and all of these things require <laughs> right. definitional explanations. So, you know, it's just one of those things trying to, you know... You know, when voters want answers, even if the even if the most honest answer, and even if it's the answer that politicians want to give, is look, there were there were problems with the system that we're going to address, and these were the problems. It's a fair bet that people aren't going to understand either the problems with the system or the solutions that are going to be there. But what's a lot easier to say is, you know what, these guys screwed up. Yeah, yeah, and then once you go, honey, and yeah, then then once you go on that hunt, all these other factors come into play, and. You're not, you know, you you're not really trying to understand anything anymore. No, I mean, you know, it's funny, <laughs> right? I, you know, I, you know, I mean, I like blaming, to talk- blaming, laying blame and understanding ideally overlap a lot, but you know, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> a lot of anecdotal stories around people who don't follow politics as closely as we do, or and who aren't involved in the process. You know, those are the conversations I'm often most interested in, just to hear what people yeah. kind of think. And most of the initial, you know, reactions I had after this were, you know. Why can't we sue ERCOT? <laughs> yeah. And that's like, oh, uh, where do I start? <laughs> right. And the answer is, and then what I did, and then I, you know, and then well, can I, I just get you another beer. Well, that's what I say. Then, and then I think better and I think, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> sovereign, well, <laughs> sovereign immunity. And, and one of these other, you know, and so, you know, in, in terms of, you know, then how that, that hunt gets affected by conditions on the ground. You know, I, as you know, I've been, you know, fascinated by the role of the Railroad Commission on this and, yeah. and the fact that, you know, as if you, if you've made it this far in the podcast, you're among, you care, you know, well, you, you're among the, yeah. as we'll say, the about 39% of Texans who, who know what the Railroad Commission does. Right. Right. And which is, you know, regulate the, you know, regulate the oil and gas. Oh, industry. and you know, we, we didn't even, we didn't even put this, I mean, we haven't, I haven't mentioned the item yet that you're referring to. So in the back of the survey, we always ask right. people what we call information questions. And we, we preface it by saying, Hey, look, these are questions. You may know the answer. You may not. A lot of people don't. If you don't know the answer, just tell us. And part of the idea here is allow people to say, to say they don't know something, but also then we use these items to sort of assess, you know, a basic measure of whether people are informed or right. not. We don't use it that much, but it's kind of a common political science thing to do. We played with this at the end, and we basically asked, uh, you know, which state agency regulates oil and gas production in the state of Texas? 39% correctly identified the Texas Railroad Commission. 38% said the PUC. Right. And, and, and only 17% admitted that they didn't really know. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, and there are, and I think we, talk, we talked about this briefly a couple weeks ago, there are, you know, often efforts to or at least not efforts is maybe the wrong word. You know, the, the idea is raised of, Hey, why don't we just call the railroad commission, you know, the oil and gas commission or something like this. Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. <laughs> and if you look at, you know, these blame items and you look at the fact that going back to this, you know, systemic piece and without making any judgments about blame, you can't really discuss the system without talking about the role that, you know, natural gas supplies play, in the system that broke down, mm-hmm. you know, kind of full stop. So, you know, the, the, the fact that the railroad commission has, has, I, you know, and, and to some extent the oil and gas industry have escaped, I think a lot of discussion and attention relative to the others. And they haven't, they haven't escaped completely. Um, you know, they, 
there have been some uncomfortable discussions, but for the most part, this has been focused, you know, on restructuring ERCOT, restructuring, you know, perhaps, you know, restructuring the PUC, not a lot out there that's moving anywhere in the legislative process about, you know, addressing, you know, issues related to oil and gas and particularly to the railroad commissions. Well, and there's now been a couple of pieces on that recently. Andrea Zelensky had a piece and Texas Monthly. There was a piece on the Texas Tribune today. Uh, I think it was today, today or yesterday. Um, and I can't remember who wrote it. Forgive me. If you have it up in I a window, Josh, we I'll can give, give credit where credit is due. I like credit. Now, all, you know, all of this, you know, as we've alluded to, points to the question of, well, you know, what's the response going to be? And look, there's been, you know, a lot, you know, obviously there's been a lot of response in the legislature. Um, you know, the fact that this affected such a broad swath of Texans, you know, did did get the attention and, and cause concerns among legislators, as we alluded to earlier. You know, there were, you know, hearings very quickly within about a week or so. I mean, as soon as things were stabilized, there were hearings and and those hearings have, you know, were multiple. There have been a couple of rounds of them in different committees. Yeah, I mean, we, we heard, you know, we heard from various people. We know that they were definitely hearing from constituents. But yeah. just to give you, you know, some of the size and shape, at least of the measurements we have. Now, these are voters. So I would actually yeah. say these numbers are actually probably a little bit lower than what I would expect for the state as a whole, because voters as a whole are going to be of higher socioeconomic status than the state as a whole by comparison points. Right. So we'd expect negative impacts to, you know, I mean, there's it's in the data, but you see negative impacts will reverberate amongst the people least able to bear them. But overall, among voters, we 66% said that their electricity stopped work and working. 54% said they had an interruption in their water service. One in five had damage to their home. 56%, and this is sort of an important one, the ones we're not talking about, 56% didn't have reliable internet service in the during right. the storm. 30%, so a third, were unable to go to work and lost income due to the storm. So, you know, it, when we sort of think about this and it's like, hey, why are we, you know, I mean, if, if there's anybody out there who's saying, hey, why are we still talking about this? Well, it was, it was, it is a big deal. Right. You know? And people, so people have expectations that something was going to be done about this and had ideas about what the legislature should do. Um, and I think one of the things that's very interesting, you know, there's an interesting dynamic here in that. You know, when we look at the, the approval ratings of political figures in response to this, mm-hmm. they're pretty mediocre. I mean, Abbott's, I think, was, a, you know, the governor, you know, the rating of the governor's response was, I think, three 40, or four 40. points right below his overall response. Is that right? Yeah. So he was his, his response to the, to the storm was 41 percent approved, 45 percent disapprove, which was, you know, better than Cruz and Cornyn. And we'll talk about that because that's funny. <laughs> in a second, yes, you know, but lower than you know, honestly, the all the entities and actors that were closer to the ground, you know, neighbors were ranked the highest in terms of their response. Right. Local businesses next, then local government, then your own water utility and your own electric utility, then the governor. Right. So, so you know, that's not, and and then when we ask people, you know, do you expect the legislature to respond? You know, to to, a pass to pass effect- an effective response effective responses to the storm and its effects. Yeah. Um, Only 9% were extremely confident. 60% were either <laughs> somewhat or not very confident. Right. So not very confident. In general, a, a lack of confidence. Now, I think one of the but, – but what's interesting about that, though, is if you look at the kind of solutions that, that Texans think mm-hmm. ought to be coming down the pike, you know, they're – 
reasonable? They're, well, they're reasonable, and they and they and they do. And, and look, there's some indigen, and uh, you know, it's endogenous here because we frame the responses, a lot of the responses to at least some of them to what is on offer at the legislature. Yeah. But nonetheless, I mean. Yeah, but you know, you, winterization seems to have been the thing, you know, the winterization of facilities and providing for that in some way seems to have been, seems to be emerging pretty front and center in the legislature. And that's front and center in public opinion, right? Well, that's what's kind of interesting, I think, about, you know, this discussion we're having about, you know, simplicity and complexity and systemic versus, you know, individual actors is that, you know, despite all the noise around this and all the posturing and positioning, you know, I would say it seems like the voters landed at a pretty consistent position, which is they said, you know, the biggest effect, the biggest cause of this was the lack of winterization, the unprecedented nature of the storm. And then further down, it could be policymaking failures or independence of Texas electric grid. And even further down below that is human error. So what do they think that should happen? What, you know, the policy proposals, number one response or number, you know, the, the issue or let's say the policy that had the highest support was required energy providers to winterize followed with a lot less intensity, but still number two, which is basically just paying for them to winterize. Yeah. Now, the difference there is that, you know, in requiring has a lot of strong support, whereas paying for them is split between strong and somewhat. So it's not as much strong support. After that, the next two highest, you know, policies were required ERCOT members to reside in Texas, which I think is, you know, an interesting sort of weird discussion point out of all of this. Yeah. And then the other one is the higher energy reserve requirements, basically having the regulators require higher energy reserves. And after that, there's a pretty big drop. But, you know, there's not a huge amount of support for like a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do or let's say has limited potential effect. If you look at what people saw happen during the storm, how they understand it, what they want to see on the back end is actually, I mean, I'm actually proud of Texans on this one. This is like a pretty good, a pretty good alignment of, you know, of the whole thing. It it will be interesting to see if the legislature gets credit, if they do all this stuff. Or they do the winterizing or they, you know, I mean, if we go and, and tell people they did this, will they approve, you know, will the approval of the legislature's performance go up? I don't think so. I don't think so. This is such a, this is such <laughs> a, a bag, of, this is such a, a flaming bag of poop because think about it, right? So you do this and then yeah. first things first, let's say, let's say it's successful. Nothing happens, but assume that, you know, overall energy bills are going to have to go up somewhere to pay for some of the costs of all this. Not even what the legislature is doing. I'm just saying the cost of the store. Just, that's just that's just the way this stuff that works. Was, that was baked in from the moment right. we so, saw how severe it all was. Yeah. So as much as, you know, as active as the legislature has been, they can't go out and be like, we did all this stuff because really all the people are going to notice is, well, my bill went up. The flip side yeah. is, is that if we have a brownout come July – None of it matters. There's going to be hell to pay. Well, and, and I and I think it also, you know, it also raises the issue of, um, you know, how 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 salient this this remain, you know, this kind of this bundle of issues remains, you know, how salient it remains for how long, and you know, and and how it just, you know, as you say, you know, brownouts or or it just or how much it just gets crowded out. Yeah. You know, and you know, I mean, I was. You know, I mean, I think it's an interesting question about whether there is, you know, any election relevance for this in any direct way. Now, you know, I think there's, I think there's an overall arc in which this feeds into a larger frame, you know, that that Republican elected officials are worried about because when you have when you have the you know the COVID response, which you know for all the attempt to make it seem otherwise has not been particularly great in Texas. Mm-hmm. 
and and has been politically problematic but but just from a kind of demonstration of capacity and responsiveness position has not been great mm-hmm. you know then you have the an infra- essentially a short-term infrastructure collapse and now we are having a discussion about corporations and voting you know the t- the texas is open for business and is a great place and is a great place for everyone for for businesses and people to relocate and set up shop because this is such a great environment which has been central to republican appeals at least you know in part and certainly central to the republican brand you know all all looks a little dinged up yeah let me you know and let me add two two things to that list right i mean two other things i'll add is you know if the legislature managed to pass the trigger bill that would outlaw abortion if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, I think there's going to be a very interesting, you know, I'm going to say a very troubling for the state business reaction if, you know, if the legislature goes through with that. I mean, it'll have to wait to see what happens, but the idea of Austin becoming, you know, you know, a Southern tech hub, if it isn't already, that's going to be a problem, probably. The other thing I'll add is, you know, but depending, you know, what, what gets passed around gun rights or loosening gun rights or expanding gun access, you know, I mean, I'm not saying this, you know, I don't even, I don't even know how to preface this, but ultimately there's going to be another mass shooting. And when, yeah. you know, and the idea is this is the first legislative session after El Paso, after George Floyd, after a lot of big issues that have really activated, you know, in particular, large shares of Democrats, but also Republicans, not in the same ways, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, again, in terms of this narrative, what happens next summer going into the fall and how, you know, the orientation of legislative leaders now, you know, is a reflection of priorities. And I think, you know, it's, it's becoming even more contentious than it, I think it was before in some ways. So, you know, as we, we asked in the poll about, you know, basically approval of the response of a range of actors uh, towards the winter storm. You know, another thing we asked was basically who was, who, who do you think was most hurt? And this was an open-ended question. And what most people said was either, uh, you know, basically the poor or the elderly was the main response that people said, you know, anyone who basically couldn't, you know, handle the storm. But in the approval battery, you know, it makes me think maybe the person who was hurt the most by this is John Cornyn. (laughs) Because even with Ted Cruz abandoning the state in the middle of the storm to go of all places to Mexico. And getting narked out by his friends. Getting narked out by his quote unquote (laughs) friends. I think we should put this in quotes. He still had a higher overall approval than Cornyn. (laughs) <laughs> That's okay. I'm glad you were waiting to say that. So, so as we, um, yeah, there's a couple of things I would yeah, add to just... that, but I'm not, I'm not going to, but as we, you know, so as we kind of then think about where we're going to go as we go forward on this and this idea of, you know, frankly, you know, where, where Republican candidates, legislators and, and, and then as candidates are standing as we go through one of these cycles in which the legislature leads into the statewide elections, Mm-hmm. With the governor on the ballot, and and as always, all the legis the, the legislature, you know, this has highlighted the big gambit that is that is happening right now in in Texas politics, which is, you know, the ascension of the you know the post Trump you know Republican Party that looks a lot like the pre Trump Republican Party, but with you know some conditions changed. You know, gambling on some pretty hard right turn plays, you know, you and you kind of provided a list of some of them on guns, on abortion. Um, it was even evident in, 
you know, some of the attitudes about explaining this, you know, the differences between Republicans and, and Democrats and their responses to the storm. And in particular, the other early scapegoat in this, which was renewable energy, you know, um, and that, and that that resonated with elements of the Republican base, but, you know, the environment is, is, is a treacherous one. And it's going to be interesting to see if, going back to gambling on mobilizing the base in order to both inoculate incumbents against primary challenges where possible, and then gamble on the fact that Republicans are still going to have an electoral advantage in the general election is one of the powerful subterranean storylines going on in the state right now. So on that, uh, thanks to Josh for being here. Thanks to our ever-present and ever-excellent crew in the Liberal Arts Development Studio in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Thanks to you for listening. Um, Also a nod to our colleagues on this poll at the UT Energy Institute, who were great to work with and came up with some terrific uh, questions and ideas for doing this poll. And I should just add, I mean, there's a ton of stuff in this poll that we're not talking about that's very yeah. interesting. And so if you want to look at all of these results, top lines, cross tabs, graphics, again, of, of pretty much all of the results in the poll, and really, you know, there's an extensive battery of what people experienced during during the winter, winter blackout. You can find all that at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Yeah, tons of stuff. And also while you're there, check out the blog. There's a lot of decom. You know, we've been sort of parceling these out. So if you have thematic interest, that may help you too. Although we have great search tools all over the site for all this stuff. So thanks to everybody. Thanks to Josh for adding the plug at the end. And we'll talk to you next week. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. 